You are listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about psychospiritual and psychosocial aspects of end-of-life care. And now, here's your host, Saul. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. In fact, this is the first episode of Season 4, and we are glad to be back. We have a special guest for you, Chaplain David Hager. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Saul. So, David, could you give us a little background? Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Lansing, Michigan, and uh, started attending uh, uh, the church in the community. My parents weren't involved with church, but there was this little church, and it was called the Salvation Army. And uh, it was just a little community. They called it an outpost. I grew up in that and learned about that. And then I went to Chicago, went to school in Chicago to be a Salvation Army officer. And worked for 12 years in the Salvation Army as an officer, became a captain hugger, almost became a major hugger, which would have been a kind of a nice thing to be. Um, that We left there, though, and we started working with independent churches, independent non-denominational churches. So for 10 years, I was in northern Michigan, up in the Petoskey, Vanderbilt, Gaylord area, uh, way up north where it's cold, cold, cold. And uh, uh, we felt, my wife and I felt the call to the tropics. So we moved to St. Joe, Missouri uh, and uh, much warmer here, still has some winter, but much warmer. And we started a church and we've been here 20 years uh, here in St. Joe, Missouri. So how did your call to ministry begin? As as a young man, I just felt uh, that that's what I wanted to do. I just looked at the people who were uh, ministry and look at the things they did, uh, the joy in their life. Most of them had joy. And uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to follow in that. And then uh, maybe uh, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, um, my church here in St. Joe, I started to look at our church budget. And uh, we were a healthy church. We had 100 to 150 people coming to church. But we were really top heavy on staff out of the budget. And so uh, this isn't for every church, but for my church, I felt that I led them to go, let's all go part-time and go get real jobs to do things with real people. And so we, I, my wife who ran it was an executive director at an in-home health agency. Uh, she met a hospice marketer and the hospice marketer and her became friends, you know, cause marketers had to be friends with everybody. <laughs> and so that became friends with my wife and my wife happened to say, Oh, my husband is uh, going through a change right now. He's out looking for a part-time job. I thought I'd be a, a greeter at Walmart or something, you know? <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, she said, we're looking for a part-time chaplain. And uh, so I went, I didn't even know hospice chaplains got paid, uh, but the salary was good. And the ministry opportunities were, beyond what I had in the church. They were different than what I had in the church. I was going to meet real people and meeting them where they were, uh, some with a strong faith foundation, some from different faiths, uh, some with no faith, and how to bring peace and comfort into all of these homes really was wonderful. And then in my self-description, I describe myself as a non-traditional hospice expert because I did it all backwards. 
I didn't get my CPE till I was a chaplain for six years, <laughs> you know? So I, I did it all backwards. I learned how to be a chaplain before I got any credentials to be one. Um, I mean, so, really, I don't, I didn't get a doctorate divinity. I don't have, I didn't have a master's, just a bachelor's, but it's sort of backwards, uh, to learn, but I think I did okay. So why, uh, what took you back to clinical pastoral education when you're already well, in the field? What took you back? Well, the company that I worked for, uh, started to evaluate the credentials for their chaplains. And although I had great, um, uh, reviews and uh, was well loved by people. I really people liked me. Um, <laughs> they noticed I didn't have CPE, <laughs> and so they said we'd like you to get a, some CPE. And so they helped pay for it, and it was it was a good it was a good thing. I at first thought, well, I don't need that, uh, but uh, it really turned out to be um, a fantastic thing for me personally. Not. Not necessarily professionally, although it helped me professionally. Personally, uh, you know that it makes you look inward yes. at some of the things, why you do what you do and and uh, why you think the way you think. And it really was good for self-evaluation of who I was and what I wanted to do. So I would say it was good for me professionally, but it was excellent for me personally. So how did that um introspection that the clinical pastoral education program gave you how did that improve your bedside ministry well when you uh, do your verbatims and you uh talk to uh you know you i had 14 other people and uh and a, a leader uh and you you're you're talking and you're sharing and then uh many people feel like they have to find something you know, cause, cause you're giving your verbatim. And so they were critiquing and sometimes, um, uh, harshly. I mean, and, uh, one of the things I think it taught me was I didn't know it all. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, teaching me stuff more than, than, uh, helping me bedside more. It taught me, I really didn't know it all. And so I'm getting these people from different perspectives. I would say in my CPE, there was some uh, there was some Greek Orthodox priests that were training. There was a Jewish rabbi who's training. Uh, there was some Lutherans, and there were some people who um, didn't connect with the, the Christian faith at all. Yeah, and but they were they were training to be chaplains. So you got all these perspectives about uh, in my prayer. Why did you why did why did you pray this way? Why did you say this? Um, and and it was good to look in and see why did I say that. And was it appropriate to say that? Yeah. So you came out a better person, in a sense. Uh, oh, I came out a lot better person. So you've also written two books. Your first book, Hospice is a Gift, Never Let yes. Dying Stop You from Living. What was right. the motivation for that first book? Well, my motivation for that book was uh, uh, there's so much, I don't know what you say, people in hospice or, or people outside hospice who, who, who don't know what hospice is and they only know I'm going to die. Okay. And so when the doctor says, uh, your options are few or none, and we recommend hospice, they don't know what hospice is. That's this book. It, it addressed hospice myths. It address, uh, addresses, uh, uh, things that hospice provides that you maybe didn't know about. Uh, my experience as a hospice chaplain is many times, uh, people, 
are afraid to, you know, to jump in the pool to be in hospice. But after they get in there, they say, we should have did this three months ago Mm -hmm. because there's so much more help that comes into your home. So many more resources that come into your home uh, that after they after they taste it, they find it's good. But before they're afraid. And so this book is written to for people. Uh, I, I my vision is that it would be in doctors' offices, so that when they tell people you need to be on hospice, uh, here is a book that tells you about it. A few marketers, hospice marketers, have read it, and they they buy it to pass out to people who have questions about what hospice is. Hospice is, and you know things like respite care that uh, isn't talked about all. Uh, thing and and the myths like. Uh, I'm going to address one of them. I, I've had a lot of people tell me that hospice killed my grandpa or grandma. They hospice killed. Them. And what <laughs> the reality is, they had a terminal illness. Uh, and and if you're talking to an individual uh, about hospice and they say, "Well, hospice killed your grandpa or your spouse," you can't say the truth. You have to be gentle. You you know, this book says the truth. It says number one hospice is an ethical organization at least it's supposed to be okay number two there is no financial gain for hospice to kill people i mean you can't say that when you're talking to joe who's telling you about hospice but the book i can say this there's no there's no reason for hospice to kill you uh it 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 would it's dumb it's it's illegal it's immoral and financially it's bad for business, and, but you can't say that. But in the book, I can say this. So the marketer can give people this book and marketers have done that. They've given this book to help address many of the myths about hospice. The big point in chapter two is don't never let dying stop you from living. Mm. And so uh, I go through things that to do. You have a bucket list item. Sometimes hospice helps people with bucket list items if they possibly can. You know, we help. We helped the person take their their winter vacation. They were snowbirds, and they always go to Florida. We facilitated with hospices in Florida for their children to take them down there for a week and bring them back to say goodbye to people. And hospice has all these wonderful gifts. You don't need to stop dying, living just because you're dying. Yeah. Um, and people will say, well, I can't, you know, casinos aren't for me, but they are for some people. And I had one guy say he didn't want to go on hospice because someone told him, well, I can't go to the casino anymore. I said, <laughs> we don't care if you go to the casino. If you if you feel well enough and you got $20, <laughs> go to the casino. We don't care. You know, it, Live it's, your life. <laughs> live your life. Live, live every day. And uh, what I say, hospice has helped, helped, wants you to live the best life or an abundant life every day that you have. And then we want to help you on your last day, you know, but until then we want to help you live. And so uh, that's, and I take that out of John 10, 10, where Jesus says it came to have a full life. And if I'm dealing with Christians, I will say that this is what Jesus said until, until the last day, let us help you have an abundant life. And so those are kind of things. And then we go through those, those um, uh, myths and hospice opportunities that you may not know that you have because no one has ever told you these things. But my hospice that I worked for did these incredible things for people. Um, like a lady who, who she, she maybe had two, three weeks left to live and she was bed bound. And, and somehow or another, we found out she wanted to have a picnic with her family. Well, you know, we can put that together. 
And we did. And her family brought food and we had extra staff to wheel her bed out into the patio of the facility she lived in. And she had her homemade potato salad that she wanted. And it was what she, it was a wonderful thing for her. And, and she got to go and be happy. And those kind of things are things hospice can do. My favorite was a lady who uh, wanted to fly. She was a pharmacist, but had never flown anywhere. Now she's in a nursing home and we could not get her to fly. We could not get, it wouldn't have been able, she wouldn't be able to, but we did take her to the Air National Guard, our local Air National Guard. And these soldiers, these airmen did wonderful. They took her up into a big C-130 cargo plane, I think it is. You know, one of those big ones. Yes. Took her in the cockpit, gave her wings to pin on her. She died with the wings pinned on her. Um, <laughs> they just treated her like a queen. And um, then they came and stood color guard at her funeral. It was it just was amazing. Tough. It was amazing for her and her family to see that. And those are the little extra things that hospice can do for people. I, good hospices do those anyways. I hope they do. Yes, yes. Oh, those little extra gifts yeah. like respite care, um, medical equipment. People, ha people have no idea that hospice, part of the hospice benefit is that these things are supplied to you. And so uh, they just think they have to keep going on their own. A lot of times on hospice, uh, people have discovered that their personal expenses go down because hospice covers this medical equipment that you are having to acquire yourself some medical supplies. Um, and so that's what that's all about. The extra little things that you don't even know you have yeah. uh, available to you. Yeah. And a good hospice lets you know that. But if you don't know these things, you just you sit at home by yourself. The volunteers that come in, uh, God bless hospice volunteers. Say a, a prayer or play cards or read a book. Um Give give a caregiver a little break saying go out and get the groceries and you sit have a volunteer sit for a little while and just uh, provide companionship. Those things are awesome benefits of hospice. And and when hospice is done right, and most of the time it is, um, when it's done right, it is it it is not the end of the world for people. It is really uh, um, a time of peace and comfort and joy and connection and um, forgiveness and spiritual renewal or comfort at least all those things come come with hospice and so again when you're at the doctor's office or in the hospital and the doctor tells you this horrible news that you there are no choices doctors are very professional and good and i want them to be experts in heart surgery or what are cancers but they're not necessarily good communicators of the message of hospice. Yeah. And so I, I just want to give them an aid. That was the goal. Yeah. And it's really a good book. I like the stories you shared where you help patients, you know, achieve some of their dreams and continue yes. living vibrantly. How have those experiences shaped you or changed you? Well, I, I now start looking at people when I was working with hospice, almost every one of them, I started looking for their for a bucket list item. What little thing can we do that's going to bring joy into their life? Uh, one lady uh, uh, who lived up the northern part of Missouri, uh, of course, I can't say her name, but she she loved lemon pie. She's loved lemon pie. And so every I'd see her twice a month. 
And I would always stop at Perkins on the way there on the freeway, get her lemon pie and uh, have a piece of lemon pie with her. Well, who doesn't like a piece of lemon pie? Everybody does. And so we would sit and have lemon pie and I would talk to her and we would have these great uh, conversations about her family and her life. She was 99 years old, wanted to live to be 100 and did. Uh, But one day Perkins didn't have lemon pie. They had key lime pie, but they did not have lemon. Mm. So I got two pieces of key lime pie. I like key lime pie. She'd never had it. Mm. And so this little 99-year-old lady takes a bite of this uh, key lime pie. And, you know, she just puckers up. And she she says, Chaplain Dave, I haven't puckered this much since the honeymoon. (laughs) I, I just... I just laughed and laughed and laughed. It was so, so fun. And she also said um, that if she lived to 100, that we were going to dance. She goes, I don't know if your church dances, but if I live to 100, we're going to dance. And so on her 100th birthday, uh, uh, we had a party for her with cake and stuff. And uh, one of the aides brought a CD player. And I, I didn't have Mabel's first dance, but I had her last dance. Forgive me for saying her name. Wow. Well, that would take a little break. Let me reintroduce you. Our guest is David Hager. He's the author of two books. His first book, Hospice is a Gift, Never Let Dying Stop You from Living. And his second book is Hospice Alpha and Omega. We'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. I'm Sole Behman. We continue our conversation with Chaplain David Hager. Uh, listening to your stories before the break, it really shows how passionate you are with hospice ministry. It seemed like you really enjoyed it. I I had a great time. It, it was a. Uh, I tried to make it fun almost every day. Not my my supervisors didn't always think uh, that I w- they maybe thought I was having too much fun, <laughs> and and I got in trouble a couple times with my supervisors. How so? <laughs> well, uh one April Fools, um, I found out that the Indianapolis Zoo had a number to call, and you could speak to Miss Ella Fant, and which, of course, elephant, Ella yes. Fant. And it was a number, and you'd call the number, and Miss Ella Fant, she'd say, hello, this is Miss Ella Fant. Then you hear an elephant in the background with their, their, their big sound that they make, and then said, leave a message. And so <laughs> I... You know, marketers are hungry for um, census and yes. directors are, are, are sent hospice is census driven. And so I gave that number to my marketer and my direct clinical director and said, this Miss Ella Fant <laughs> called from Indianapolis. She's both of her parents live in the little town next to us and they both need hospice immediately. <laughs> Call them and let's set up an appointment. Um, to, to, to set up a, a possible admission. And so my, my marketer calls Miss Elephant. Here's the elephant. Comes in and sort of, you know, 
lovingly taps me on the back of my head and said, you got me. You know, it was, it was funny, <laughs> but my clinical director didn't get the joke Oh, wow. and, and called miss elephant three times three times because she never returned her call. And finally came into me and said, miss elephant, isn't calling me back. And, and, and I, and I look at her like, it's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> well, I got told to quit horsing around in the office, but mostly she was embarrassed. It was funny. After afterwards, we all laughed. Yeah, it, to me, that is a dynamic of a good team. Yeah, that's a good, healthy environment where you can have laughing this. together is a good thing <laughs> because death and dying is intense, and humor yes. has a big role to play as as we deal with these situations. It certainly does. So your second book, Hospice Alpha and Omega, what was the motivation behind writing that second book? Well, sort of a follow-up to the second book, the first book, after you go on hospice, uh, the information that hospices give, especially during the first week, it's immense. It's immense. And I always looked at these people who have this traumatic news, uh, health concerns galore to changes and decisions that have to be made. And then the nurse came in and gave them all this wonderful information. Maybe the aide gives information. Then the social worker comes in and the social worker gives all this information and the chaplain comes in. And so there's assessments and information. And uh, to me, it sort of was overload. I know we have to get it in in that first week or so, but it was uh, information overload. And so I wanted to write something that was concise that we could leave with people so that, yeah, the social worker says this is available to you. But if you forget that, you can go back and have a reference book. The other thing was that uh, I don't know what your hospice does in Illinois. The hospices around the Midwest, they have these pamphlets that look like church bulletins that have sold millions. and. it's good stuff. Okay. It's good stuff, but it's sort of outdated. Uh, it looks kind of, um, looks like an old church bulletin is what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And we would give this stuff to people. And I thought it was inadequate. And in fact, often we'd say, I wish we had something better to give our clients than this, but it was the only option to leave in the home. That's all we had. I worked. and, And so I start talking to other chaplains and they use the same book. It's the only option they have. Yeah. And I'm not bad-mouthing the author or the book. I'm just yeah. saying I thought there should be a better option. Yeah. And so after writing book one, book two, uh, Hospice Alpha and Omega, I wrote this so that people would have in their hands the, the total package. I also intentionally wrote it at, uh, at a fifth-grade level. It's not clinical. It is not like the doctor talking to you or the nurse talking to you. It's like it's like just a normal guy or gal talking to you about information. It's written with uh, large print. It's written so that, in fact, you can sit down and read the whole book in less than 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. But it's an easy reference book. I made it affordable so that hospice companies could look at buying them in bulk. But it just talks about the first week, talks about what's going to happen, um, uh, then the, a, a description of everyone on the hospice team, 
Now, because I'm a chaplain, I, I really, you know, that's where my heart is. I also know that people are afraid of social workers and chaplains coming into their home. Mm. They have the perception that social workers are from the government, maybe, and they're going to take away my kids or tell me I can't live the way I'm living. Or It's not true with a hospital. I don't think it's true with any chat, hot social worker. But that's that's sort of the perception people have initially about social workers. Um, then chaplains, they have the perception that, you know, depending where you're from, I'm from the Bible Belt. So the perception here, chaplain's going to come in with a 20-pound King James Bible and whop you over the head with it, okay? <laughs> and which isn't what a hospice chaplain does. And so I give, I tell people what they do and why they do it and how we don't come in judging. Uh, we don't, We don't care how you live. It's your life. Uh, you know, we're, we're not here inspecting the cleanliness of your house. Uh, we're, we're, we're not here for all of those things. We're here to meet you where you're at. And the, the neat thing is um, many people who don't have experience with any kind of faith or a quasi, you know, I, I, half the people in this part of the country was a Baptist or are a Baptist, you know, they, 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 but but they still have this all these misconceptions about what faith is and what a chaplain does. And so it's really one of the greatest opportunities I have, like I said earlier, to meet real people uh, where they were at. Uh, to me, it's more, uh, I, I, I don't say this, being a hospice chaplain is one of the most Christian things I've ever done. And, and, and I got to meet uh, a man who was a Muslim. Uh, we don't have a lot. Uh, we don't have a high Muslim population here in town, but he was on hospice and uh, we went I went to visit him. I was very fearful uh, that he would not be open to a Christian chaplain. And uh, but I was able to connect him with his mosque in Kansas City. The, the mosque here in St. Joe wasn't his. Um, I was, I'm going to say brand for the lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. It wasn't what he was used to. And the mosque in Kansas City actually helped this man uh, go back to Pakistan, where he died in Pakistan. But our hospice and the mosque in Kansas City was able to get this man home to be with his family because he had mm. no family here. He's all by himself and he's dying. Can you imagine anything worse than that? Yeah. Um, now, they, I don't think they have hospice in Pakistan, uh, but he he passed away in Pakistan after about three weeks after getting there. But, between hospice and and the the people as mosque, we were able to coordinate that. And I I said, well, I, now that your mosque is involved, uh, I I won't be back to see you. I I understand. He goes, no, please come back. And so yeah. I was able to visit with this man three more times, yeah. and just just able to minister to him in love, even though we're from two different faith backgrounds. We just minister as man love, and I know that. Uh, he got back to be with his family, and I pray that he died in peace. Hmm. So your book, Alpha and Omega, has two parts. The first part is Alpha, and the second part is Omega. So right. in the Alpha part, you have helpful hospice hints. What are some of those helpful hints there? Well, like, um, again, these are some things your social worker was going to say. But the best time to plan your funeral is now. Okay, um, now is the time to call your funeral home, make arrangements. 
Tell them what your budget is. Most funeral homes will work with you. The worst time to call a funeral home is after the nurse pronounces your death. That's the worst time to make your first contact. And people don't always understand that. Um, uh, you, that. You have to do that. There's things like passwords. And if you pay your bills online and you haven't shared your information with your significant other or your family members that need it, um, those kind of things. Location. Uh, I don't know how hospice uh, addresses, but in our part of the country, we have a lot of people who live in mobile homes. And it just seems to me that the really big guy or gal, they always put them in the back little room of the no, no mobile home. <laughs> and they've got those little narrow hallways and you can't get in and get out. The funeral home can't get in or get out with the gurney. And so I talk about the importance of location, where you, where your loved one's going to be. Um, and, you know, do you want them back there? Do you want them in the front where they can experience life of the house, you know? Mm. And so those kind of helpful hospice, help, helpful hospice hints that, again, uh, are easy for them to go back and look at because it's in a resource for them. Yeah. So then in the Omega is the last days. This is, uh, it's a Christian theme. Could somebody say this is a Christian book or how do you? Yeah. I sense I, a Christian I theme that, here. I address that in the book, that uh, that this is a Christian theme, uh, that these readings are Christian, uh, most of them. Although there's people from different faiths or no faiths or quotes, but that if you uh, participate in another faith, to contact your hospice chapel, and they can provide readings for you, uh, contacts for you. And, and in fact, every hospice chapel I know will gladly do that. It, it isn't a burden. It's it's part of their calling. And so the last part is uh, more Christian than the rest of the book. Uh, but I do address that and say these things are this way because that's where I come from. And so there's pages of uh, about hope, about eternity, about faith, with different quotes, short portions of scripture, and a prayer for every day. And so that if you're sitting with someone as they're passing, you can read these things to them, and maybe they'll give your loved one comfort, maybe they'll give you comfort. Um, and so, that, and included in that is things not to do, uh, things not to say. Yeah. Uh, I've heard horrible things people yeah. say, you know, to the younger woman whose husband is dying. Um, and then so someone came in, put the hand on her shoulder while she's holding the hand of her dying husband. I would say they're in their fifties. Okay. And say, you're still a young woman. You'll find somebody else. It's like, what? That's a dumb thing to say. <laughs> Why would you say that? Don't say those things. Okay. Don't allow those things to be said. One, one person in a nursing home, and this person was of low income. The, the, the person who's dying did not have a lot of resources. They were on Medicaid. They had the clothes in the nursing home room and a Walmart television that probably cost less than $200 new. Okay. It was the sisters were arguing over who got the television while their loved one is dying. Wow. And they tell me, they say, don't let her, if, if she dies, don't let her take it. I'm going, I, I have nothing to do. <laughs> don't argue. You know, so there's things not yeah. to talk about. Yeah. There's things you should talk about, things you should prepare for. 
And uh, so that's what uh, those things are addressed in the book. And it, we have excellent chaplains and social workers and nurses and aides, but they cannot tell you everything. And I don't think this book tells you everything, but it does leave people with with a resource to go back and look at. And I maintain that the $4 that the book costs, if you buy them in bulk, at least 10, uh, will probably save you at least one phone call back to the office. Hey, could we or should we do this? You know? Yeah. I, I, another thing that it talks about in this book that you, that you probably can't or do not address with a new hospice client is uh, how important it is to listen to the hospice staff, not your friends and neighbors. Uh, well-intentioned people will say things that aren't necessarily accurate. I am not a doctor, but I do know that some medication is time-released. And so if it says take it every six hours, take the pill every six hours. Now, at the end of six hours, maybe you don't see any pain symptoms. Good. Do, but that doesn't mean don't give the next pill. That just means the medication's working. And so we go in and there's a patient under lots of distress. You could, I go in, I just, they're, they're in pain. And I say, well, the first thing I do is say, we're going to call the nurse, which is the appropriate response, call the nurse. And then I question the, the caregiver um, about medications. The nurse asked me to ask them about the medications. And she goes, well, this lady, Diane, said she, I, that he obviously didn't need any because he wasn't in pain, so I didn't give him his last dose. Well, the, it was a well-intentioned thing, but it was wrong. Listen to your nurse. The nurse is following the doctor's instructions. It seems like that'd be simple, but it isn't always simple. Yeah, there's a care plan that needs to be followed. Yes. Wow. Uh this is really beautiful. I encourage our listeners, please get these books. Your first book, you said you were targeting it towards the physicians and hospice marketers. Is yes. this for the hospice families and the hospice patients? This is, the, yeah, the second one is for hospice fam families and hospice uh, patients. Now, they can buy it on Amazon, of course, but if they go to the hospicechaplain.com, the hospicechaplain.com, they can order these books in bulk. Yes. And uh, for, for, for substantially less money. The other nice thing, am I allowed to say this? I hope I am. No, go is ahead. That, that the front of the book has this beautiful white rose, which is a symbol of peace. And the back of the book tells you all about me, right? Yes. But if you order a, in bulk, and I'm talking about 500 of them, you can put the hospice company put their logo on the front. I'm, I don't have a problem with that. They can print anything they want on the back. It doesn't have to be about me. It can be about them. So hospice company so-and-so, and this is our phone number, and this is our medical director, all this stuff. They can actually brand the book if they'd like to. We are, we're able to do that. I think that's a good opportunity for hospices to do that. Well, that's what I'm hoping. Yes. Right now, we're, we're doing well in the St. Joe, Kansas City area, and I certainly appreciate the exposure on, on your podcast. So, Chaplain David, what are your final thoughts? My final thoughts is that hospice is, um, as I said earlier to me, it's the closest thing to being a Christian, a real Christian. That doesn't mean you have to be a Christian to be a hospice staff people. But uh, the nurses 
They minister with such mercy and compassion in people's homes. The CNAs, I, I, I do not know how they do what they do for what they get paid. Uh, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that that's just the way the pay scale is, but they are hands-on doing the most intimate care with people. Uh, that um, I, I've had more hospice aides come to me and say, Joe's having trouble with this because Joe confessed it to the hospice aide. And so that that's that, but such compassion and mercy. It's the social workers have such so much stuff relationally and, and issues. And then, of course, we didn't even mention bereavement care, the aftercare. Just absolutely fantastic. It is really showing love whether you're a Christian or not, showing love to your community, showing love to those in the most intimate time. Every, every death should be beautiful. That, and I don't know if you, if I can read, my final thought would be the hospice prayer. It's, it's in my book. Yes. May every life be shown respect. May every soul find comfort. May every person be remembered. May every tear be honored. May every passing be peaceful. That's my desire. What a perfect way to end this conversation. David, thank you. It's really, it's been an honor just talking to you here. Well, it's a, it is an honor. I've, I've had a, a good time. So hopefully you'll come back soon. I will come back anytime. you. After I write my book on um, uh, grieving, which is about halfway done, I'll send you a copy. Awesome. That was David Hager. He's the, his new book is Hospice Alpha and Omega. I would encourage you to get it. Thank you very much for listening. This show was brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. This episode was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Julia, Illinois. You can find our podcast everywhere podcasts are available. If you enjoy listening to this show, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com.